is I first want us to just listen to this one, okay? Um, and I want you to follow along in the text as close as you can, kind of like we're doing the Henry V stuff, looking for some specific lines, all right? Um, hey, nice timing. Act three, scene one. We're just jumping in. Um, it's got four minutes of music here, so I'll skip it ahead, but we'll put it in the background while I chat. So act three, scene one. Enter Claudius, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern. Gertrude is there, and they're going to spy on Hamlet, right? Thanks. I want us to take us to this spot and they do all this intro music in the audio version. I like it. It's four minutes of it. But I like it because it gives you a chance to just pause and reflect on all the crazy you just heard. Um, and it's building to this moment because Act 3, Scene 1 is the moment, right? Okay, here we go. And can you, by no drift of circumstance, get from him why he puts on his confusion? Grating so harshly all his days of quiet with turbulent and dangerous lunacy. Dangerous lunacy? He does confess he feels himself distracted, but from what cause he will by no means speak. Nor do we find him forward to be sounded, but with a crafty madness keeps aloof when we crafty him madness. confession of his true state. Did he receive you well? Oh, most like a gentleman. But with much forcing of his disposition. Well, niggard of question, but of our demands most free in his reply. Did you assay him to any pastimes? Oh, madam, it so fell out that certain players we all wrought on the way, of these we told him, and there did seem in him a kind of joy to hear of it. They are here about the court, and, as I think, they have already ordered this night to play before him. All right, here we go. True. And he beseeched me to entreat your majesties to hear and see the matter. With all my heart. Yeah. And it doth much content me to hear him so inclined. Good gentlemen, give him a further edge and drive his purpose on to these delights. We shall, my lord. <laughs> Sweet Gertrude, leave us to. For we have closely sent for Hamlet hither that he, as to my accident, may hear of Ophelia. Her father and myself, lawful as We'll so bestow ourselves that seeing unseen, we may have then encounter frankly judged. You guys catch that? Lawful? We're allowed to spy on him. We're the parents. Yes. Really? And the word affront, Ophelia? How interesting. And gather by him as he is behaved, if be the affliction of his love, or no, that thus he suffers for. I shall obey you. Ah. And for your part, <laughs> I do wish that your good beauties be the happy cause of Hamlet's wildness. So shall I hope your virtues will bring him to his wonted way again, to both your honours. Madam, I wish it may. Holy cow. Did anybody catch the pressure there? This is your boyfriend's mom, who is the queen, saying, I kind of hope it's because you're so gorgeous. 
that that's why Hamlet's acting crazy. And actually, I hope you'll use your beauty to fix him. Thing compared to uh, what your dad said, that's I know, right? Really <laughs> it's nice. You're right. It's it's a nice spin on the. At least she's calling her gorgeous, but the pressure of your boyfriend's mom, the queen, to have you have to fix his craziness. Good idea or bad idea? Bad. Way bad. Right. That's brutal. Whew. Okay. Yeah, I hope so, ma'am. All right. So look at the pressure here, and then Polonius steps in. Okay, and says, here, you read this book, and Hamlet's going to walk in, and we're all going to spy on him. Ophelia, walk you here. Gracious, so please you, we will bestow ourselves. Read on this book that show of such an exercise may color your loneliness. We are off to blame in this. It is too much proved that with devotion's visage and pious action, we do sugar o'er the devil himself. Oh, tis too true. <laughs> How smart a lash that speech doth give my conscience. <gasps> the harlot's cheek, beauty with plastering art, is not more ugly to the thing that helps it than is my deed to my most painted word. Oh, heavy bird. <gasps> What did Claudius just admit to the whole audience? That he did it, right? Now, I've told you guys all along, um, that's part of how I'm teaching this to you guys, but up until this point, if you don't know anything about the play, you're with Hamlet, like, did Claudius do it or not? We haven't done the play thing yet. It's a good strategic move, but Shakespeare chooses Act 3, Scene 1, to just give us all clarity here, right? Remember the clarity and the retelling? And all of a sudden, like, oh yeah. And right here, Claudius off to the side is like, hey, holy cow, that thing that Polonius just said is really bothering my conscience right now, especially for that huge deed that I did. Huh. Which, also is character development, Claudius actually has a conscience. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> all right. What's he gonna do about that is another thing. I don't know if you guys see it coming. Ready? Everybody's hiding. Now we're going to do this twice. I want you to be able to follow along with your pen to just the audio, and then we'll watch it. Okay? In the audio, I want you to really see what is he saying here with this big, huge, massive speech. But our time out right now is, when is this happening now? Right after the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing, right after the what is a man, and then the players come in and... <gasps> The play is the thing. We're on. I'll catch the conscience of the king. He's got a plan. He's ready. If you notice, also, I just want to, just as an English teacher, this is not first person. There's lots of ways you could call it, but it's, at the very least, it's third person objective. He's talking about people, not me. Right? Which I think is interesting. He could have said, whether it's a noble mind for me to suffer the slings of arrows and outrage. But he just says, whether it's a noble mind to suffer. Like, just people suffer, and they have to deal with it. So he's talking objectively. He's musing about this after he just had that, oh, I've got a plan. And now he's walking around. There's three different ways to do it. I have a bunch of movies up here. But is he being, does he know he's being spied on? Is he aware of it? That's going to be character development for you as director. Um, 
some people have different ways that they do it, and you'll see with the next clip, uh, either today if we have time or tomorrow. But I will give you this. One of the th when I saw this over in England, it was really interesting. The actors did something really unique. They were on stage, so these, this group right here, they were on stage, and they all did this. They're like, okay, quick, quick, he's coming. Ready? Okay. They sat where? Right in the audience, right in the front. They found spots. One of them, like, kind of like this, like, squished in between some people to get a seat. And they're like, and what does that do for the audience now? It's not just them spying on Hamlet, it's who? Everybody is now spying on this college student, and he's got this talk. And I think I like that because it's like we are all wondering about this stuff, aren't we? Ready, set, go. So, a couple questions here. What really is he saying, and what are some of his conclusions in this big famous speech? Okay, ready, set, go. Look for the enjambment, by the way, look for the periods. Um, or the end stops with questions or exclamation points because a complete thought is the sentence we're looking for. I hear him coming. Let's withdraw, my lord. To be or not to be. Is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to is a consummation devoutly to be wished mm. to die to sleep to sleep a chance to dream aye there's the rub for in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause <laughs> there's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely. The pangs of disprised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes. When he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus, conscience doth make coward of us all and thus the native hue of resolution is sickly or with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pith and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action 
and then Ophelia and he connect, right? What do you guys notice? Any thoughts, comments? So, that's by the way, that's fine. No worries. What? What's he saying then? To be or not to be? That is the question. Col like colon, right? So the sentence is not over. So the complete thought is to be or not to be. What is not to do or not to do? So what does to be mean? To exist or not to exist? That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So is it nobler to suffer outrageous fortune or to do what? Yeah, fight against the oppression and the suffering. What should I do? Should I sit in the suffering or should I fight against it? And by opposing, try to end them. And then he goes, the next thought is, oh, to die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep, we say we end the heartache and thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. It's a consummation devoutly to, to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Beautiful stuff. Ah, but what's the tension there? He wants, he's like, I just, it would be so nice to be dead and not have to what? Yeah, deal with all this pain and suffering and chaos. But what's the rub? Aye, but there's the rub. There's the tension. What's the tension? The question like what comes after death. Yeah. Does anybody here know what happens after you die? For sure? <laughs> Philosophy class. Trust list. I mean, we all believe we're going to heaven, but do we really know what happens? No. So he's like, ah, there's the rub that makes, you know, there's the respect that makes, I love this, that makes calamity of long life. Like, we don't know what happens when we shuffle off our mortal coil, but who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressor's wrong, proud man, the, the proud jerks, despised love, like, who's he talking about right there? Ophelia, right? The law's delay. Anybody waiting for justice? It just takes way too long for justice. Insolence of office and the spurns the patient merit of the unworthy takes when I could just do what with my little dagger right here. I'll grab my little Macbeth dagger and what could I do? Right, right there. Boom. And it'd be what? Over. Done. Now remember, act one, oh God, oh God, why? I just wish I could self-slaughter, you know, like, right? This is different, isn't it? Why? I mean, life is really hard. There's tons of suffering. People are scared of what happens after death, but it's interesting. You can get out of the suffering by just like, boom. Why don't people do it? And I think it's intriguing here, when we look at the lines, why don't people do it? What does he say on 241? The dread of something after death. 
the undiscovered country from whose poor no traveler returns. Makes us rather bear the ills we have than fly to others we know not of. Thus conscience does what? Makes us all what? Cowards. And then we we drop the action. We're not going to do it. People, so look what he's saying. We would rather deal with suffering than end the suffering by taking our own lives because generally speaking, we're all a bunch of cowards because we really don't know what's happening after death, right? Fair enough? Do we catch the drift of it? Big famous line. Can we kind of see why this is really famous? Who has to deal with suffering in our lives? Even us in privileged North America suburbs, is there still suffering here? Yeah, there really is. How about like 80% of the rest of the planet (laughs) live daily in suffering or extreme poverty or think of sex trafficking and all the, you know, the drug stuff. Like there's a lot of suffering to go around, isn't there? Fair enough? So why not just end it? Get out of here? Oh, most people are afraid of what happens after death. But what do we know about Hamlet? Already from Act 1 and Act 2. What does he know about for him with after death? He's talking about that. What is the ghost? What can it do to my soul? I'm fine. He knows that he's fine, even with, if it was a demon. He's studying at Wittenberg. What are we learning at Wittenberg 80 years after Reformation? Faith saves you, grace covers you, and sends you where? Heaven. Done. Right? He's been talking about grace several times throughout the play. So the general question is out there for us to ponder. But at Wheaton Academy, it's a whole different level. And I think for Hamlet, it's a different level. Right? And so today, today, we have a little bit of time. I'm not going to totally go into it. But I want to go into it enough. Why stay alive when life sucks? And you could take your life and go straight to heaven. That's different, isn't it? Anybody? Yeah? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, we Academy students. Is there, is there good reason to stay alive in the midst of horrifying suffering when you could just end your own life, be covered by grace, suicide's a sin, and are all the sins covered? Yes, yeah, so you go straight to heaven, right? Bella. Yeah, I mean, I think on a very basic level, suicide is pretty selfish and it's going to cause more suffering, right? To the people around you. Um, I've been to several suicide funerals. I have a member in my family who has committed suicide. So it's very personal to my wife and I. Right? So we know this conversation. I know this conversation. <laughs> right? Um, this is hard stuff. It does create more suffering. There is that side of it. Although, the people who are suffering like that, are they really that concerned about creating more suffering often? Not when you're at that point. <laughs> right? But that's a great point. Is it does. It's not, does, it, does it really get rid of suffering? No, you get to escape it, but it doesn't really take the suffering away. So you have that. Why else? Why stay alive in the midst of suffering? You can hope that it gets better. And 
Do we trust in a God who can redeem, ready, philosophy class, all of the suffering on the planet? Wait, not only can he, he what? He already did, he is, and he will. Come on, right? Come on, yes or no? If God has redeemed all the suffering, is redeeming all the suffering, and will redeem all the suffering, hello, can we stay alive with hope that he is an amazing author and can write into this story redemption? Yes or no? This play is set at Christmas. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Because we have what? The Savior has come. The Redeemer has come. We have good news to share in a world filled with suffering. And on top of that, when we get to Easter, what kind of God do we have? One who will participate in what with us? The suffering. We actually have a God who suffers with us. Right? Fair enough. He's not out there watching us suffer. Our God is willing to do what? Suffer with us and redeem it and be with us in it, right? So that's pretty cool. Fair enough? Actually, that's, that's really cool, <laughs> right? Did Paul the Apostle endure any suffering? Great suffering. Even simply just the weight of all the trauma he caused the people when he was a terrorist, basically, right? And then having to live past that and then suffering for the gospel. What does Paul say? To live is Christ. To die is, thank you, Hamlet, what? Gain. It actually is gain. To die is gain. But what's a good reason to stay alive in the midst of suffering? Christ? (laughs) Actually, in this moment, I don't want to overdo the lesson, but I also don't want to not do the lesson. To be really blunt, if to live is not Christ, will the suffering really have much meaning? Outside of suffering for the kingdom, suffering really is just what? Suffering, right? So can you almost see, without Christ, if you know you're going to heaven, escaping the suffering (laughs) makes the most sense. But you'll know you're going to heaven because of Christ. So if you really know Christ, can you hang out in the suffering? Yes or no? Actually, Paul would say that is the reason why he endures the suffering. That is why Christ endured the suffering. He did it for us. He empowers us in it. He gives meaning and redemption to suffering. We can do this, right? Thoughts, questions, or comments? How about just very practically, and I want to kind of end with this thought and then kind of open it up for some discussion. Um, This next thought, these next two thoughts, actually, I ended up doing a chapel on about six or seven years ago. There were a few, a few students who it resonated with, and they asked if I could do it. I don't need to do it again. Um, but it was an interesting chapel to give to Wheaton Academy, because it was about this. It was basically a Hamlet chapel, and to be or not to be chapel. But we got to these two conclusions. The first one is, what if he did it? 
What if Hamlet killed himself? Act three, scene one. What if he just, I'm out of here. Now, right, just practically speaking, does that solve any of the problems in the play? And if you actually look at it, it, not only does it not solve any of them, it makes them all worse. How would it go for Ophelia right now if Hamlet killed himself? Oh, guys, how would, that, how would Ophelia feel? Horrible. Who would still be on the throne? Claudius. And would anybody know that he did it? Not really, except for maybe Horatio and a few others, but they, do they have any power in this situation? No. How would mom be doing? Don't even know, really, but would that solve anything for mom? No, it just has him, you know, Claudius and mom doing their thing, and Hamlet's just dead, and they get to keep running the kingdom. A murderous, adulterous jerk now has Hamlet's kingdom. I think just at a very practical level, does the suicide really solve any of it? No. And actually, I found that to be the case. I will say this though, people I love, and even me, I have been pretty desperate at times and feeling lots of suffering and participating in suffering with others who I love. It can get really hard. So part of what I want to offer you is uh, Psalm 23 right now. I'd like you to write it in your book. And uh, I think this is an interesting take on this moment. David suffered a lot, especially before he became king. And then afterwards, there was plenty of suffering to go around as well. David writes this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Which means his soul needed what? Restoring. (laughs) So David's soul was not in a good spot. It needed to be restored. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Thank you, Hamlet. Hamlet's trying to navigate this in a path of righteousness. He's trying to do it without sinning. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God will bring the helicopter by and lift me out of the dark valley. And he'll always just rescue me out of the valley. Isn't that nice? Does he do that? Not according to David's experience and not according to my experience. However, does he sometimes do that? Does God sometimes pull you out of a really dark hole? Or does he sometimes just airlift you out of darkness or pain or suffering? Does he do that? Oh, yeah. Does he always do that? No, sometimes the helicopter will come. You're in your deep, dark valley. You're like, yay, thank you, God. Wait, what, what are you doing? Like, oh, the ladder. Oh, sweet. Thanks for dropping a ladder. Wait, what are you... Oh, okay. You're coming down the ladder? Why are you coming down the ladder? I'm in the valley. Aren't you going to pull me out? And actually, what does God do? Oh, no, no I'm not going to pull you out. I'm coming down in there with you. And you're like, God, why don't you take me out of the valley? Right? Does that make sense? Like, don't we want a God who just rescues us and pulls us out of all of our valleys? Come on, don't we? Yeah, uh, but what does David say he sometimes does in our dark hard valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you or what? You're with me in the darkness. You will walk with me 
through the dark valley. Help me find the other side. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. I am a king. I am a queen. I am a prince. I am a princess in your kingdom. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what kind of valley you're in. I've been in some pretty dark ones, especially after my dad died when I was a senior in college. It was hard. Had my family explode as well after that. That was harder, actually. Pretty dark. I was clinically depressed. I was on meds. I was getting lots of therapy. Yay for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, My wife, my sweet, sweet wife, was willing to come and drag me out of bed on Saturday morning. I mean, I'm a newlywed, and I'm laying in bed depressed on Saturday morning with a puppy and a gorgeous wife. What am I doing? (laughs) Right? And she would come and drag me out of bed and take me for walks in the woods. And she was just with me through that time. So I want you to do something right now. Close your eyes and picture planet Earth as best you can. And find a valley, a crevice or a crack on planet Earth and put yourself in it. Any of them. There's plenty to go around. Even the trench in the ocean, you can drop yourself in there if you want. And now start walking. Keep walking, keep walking. What eventually happens to every single valley or crack on planet Earth if you walk long enough? You can open your eyes, but they all do what? They all end. There is no crack on the planet that goes all the way around the planet. None of them. If you keep walking, you'll get out. The key is to what? (laughs) Keep going. That's my word for you. If you're in a really hard time right now, my encouragement to you would be rest, obviously. Get a snack. Get some water. But don't just sit there. You got to do everything you can to do what? Keep walking. Right? Pray that God will airlift you out. And does he sometimes do that? Yeah, he does. He sometimes does that. I remember when I was doing my hiking, two-week hiking trek in the Grand Canyon. I had 2,000-foot walls this far apart, 2,000-foot walls going up. I was just like, this is crazy stuff. Even that thing, though, eventually does what? It ends. It'll end at the Colorado River and then end at the ocean. Who wants to go to the beach? If, you go, if you're in a valley on a mountain and you go up, where does that end? The top of a mountain. You're in a valley on the edge of a prairie, You'll pop up on the beautiful wide open space of a prairie. They end at beaches and prairies and tops of mountains, right? They all end. You have to kind of, I want to encourage you, do whatever you can to keep moving. What would a therapist be in that metaphor? Yeah, tour guide, right? They've got ropes. They're canyoneering experts, right? They can help you. You get to a wall. Don't climb the wall without a rope. Don't climb without a guide. I know you got to keep going, but get the guides. You get a good one. There's bad ones, but get a good one. They can help you navigate the valley. 
God is with you in it, right? He's with you in it. And he may pull you out, but for me, it was a seven-year journey. And I remember the day where I was like, wait, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm, I'm Mr. D again. Well, Matthew, but right? I was like, huh, that's done. And it ended. For some people, it's... 15 years. For some people, it's seven months, maybe seven weeks, maybe it's seven hours. I don't know what it is. Seven minutes. What's the key? Keep walking. I love this. It's act three, scene one. What does Hamlet do? Keeps going. He puts the dagger down and he keeps going, right? Now, it's a tragedy, um, but that's actually for a different reason than this. The consequences of some of his actions end up making it the hellish tragedy that it is. Um, and that's a different topic. But in regards to the valley, I really appreciate the fact that here Hamlet just keeps going. He keeps going. Uh, one other thought here is if you've got a friend in a valley and you want to be like Christ, something to consider is we often do this. Hey, that valley sucks, doesn't it? I'm really sorry for you. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll pray for you. Keep going. You're going to make it. And then we'll do the whole, like, you know, we'll make a little paper airplane, write a little note. Here's a verse. There you go, right? And uh, here, uh, here's a nice little card. Okay, oh, how about a snack? And I'm glad you're laughing a little bit. But what do we often do when our friends are in valleys? We're like, we do the cliff service, right? You can make it. Versus maybe, after praying, what could you consider doing with a friend? What did my wife do for me? She's like, okay, excuse me, I'll be down in a second. Get out the repelling. You know, or, I'm coming! <laughs> but there's something beautiful about entering into a valley. And my wife so beautifully came into my valley during that time and just walked with me. I'll never forget the time when friends would invite me over for pizza movie party. And I, just, I would just sit there and like eat pizza, and they're like having fun. And they just let me come. They didn't try to fix it. They just let me be me. But they didn't also abandon me, you know? Or they just brought it over and like crashed into the room. We're playing a game. I'm like, no, we're not. Yeah, we are. Ah, okay. Like they, they were just with me through it, right? Interestingly, two years later, my, my wife's dad died. So what did I feel it coming? What did I have the privilege of doing for her? After she walks through, this is how our marriage starts, by the way. Two dead dads. Oh, we made it. But that's part of like part of the story is you guys is we made it. She came in my valley. I didn't chuck God. I did my best to keep walking. Her dad dies. I end up walking with her in her valley, and we both have pulled out of that, right? Long journey. What does that do? If you enter a valley with a friend, and you walk through that valley together, what will that do for your friendship? Right, look at Sam and Frodo, right? Look at Jesus and the disciples, what that does when you're willing to walk through suffering. I try to imagine Paul and Barnabas, right? Last thought here, can you walk into everybody's valleys and help everybody out? 
No, you can't. If you try to, I tried for a while, you'll, you can't. You just can't do it. You have to be selective, right? And so pray about that. And some valleys aren't yours to go into. And some of that lip stuff is better than nothing, right? And so at least encourage people. And maybe, you, maybe you're in your own valley, and so you can't walk through another valley with someone else, right? It's, it's all the metaphor, you know, goes a million places. Um, there's also something to be said for, oh, wait, there's an exit over here. And the, the friend chooses to do what? Stay? And you're like, okay. Oh, wait, look, we can go out over here. And they do what? Stay? Uh, that's called enabling, right? There's a, there's a time, too, where like, if there's a way out and the, your friend's not choosing it, you're allowed to walk out. Fair enough? Again, prayer and discernment. Um, that's all takes wisdom. There's no formula here. But the metaphor can help that God enters our suffering with us. He walks through it with us. Careful, always expecting him to either prevent it <laughs> or just airlift you out. I love that. The helicopter coming and he's coming down the ladder. You're like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. All right. Let me do this. Um, I'm going to put a song on to end class rather than try to do the next scene. Is that cool? Here it is, John Foreman. Anybody know John Foreman? I love this song. And we'll just kind of let it be a meditation here. Let me pray for us. I'll play the song. And actually, you can kind of leave whenever. Um, the song is, how long is it? Oh, it's six, no. It's, let's see how long it is, right? Oh, it's four minutes, so that'll be perfect. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for being a God who comes into our valleys. Thank you for Psalm 23. Thank you for being with David and Joseph and uh, how so many characters in Scripture that you walked through suffering and pain, trial and tribulation. You were with them. Thank you that you are with us. Your name is Emmanuel, with us. Help us not to forget that. And I pray a blessing on those in the room right now who are in a valley that you would encourage them. I pray that you'd rescue us. Um, and if that's through walking, if that's through walking with us in the valley, that we would trust you in that process and that journey. Help us to encourage others on the journey. Thanks for your grace and your love for us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Let's just listen, and when the bell rings, you can go, or you can keep listening, your choice.
about suicide or know someone is there help available ask for help right reach out you're loved we can help you navigate that right thanks for listening today See you guys. of God.